The Lord is good, isn't he? You know, Jesus was at the core of his earthly ministry a discipler. And a discipler is one who makes disciples. And a disciple is one who spends time with learning by experience as they follow someone who is teaching them. And so in that way, we all actually are engaged in both being disciples and also being disciplers. We disciple other people in their walk with the Lord. And so much of what's happened in Anthony's life has been discipleship while he's been here following. He's been led and helped along his journey. And what we're going to see now in the lives of the disciples as Jesus has breakfast with them on the beach is the end of their time of discipleship where they're going to be sent out into a world to go and make disciples. And as we pick up in verse 1 of the final chapter here of John's Gospel, we're really seeing Jesus transferring the ministry to the boys, turning it over. It's one of those things that as we age in ministry, uh, I, I have begun to think, you know, it's like I'm, I'm getting out there. It isn't going to take too terribly long and I'm going to be 70 years old. And while I feel great and wonderful and want to continue as long as the Lord wants to use me in the capacity he's using me now, there is a time when you have to look forward and say, okay, it's time for that next person, that next group, that next man, that next woman, that next team to take the ball and run with it. We are actively engaged in making disciples. So we have to look at these things from that standpoint. While we're here on this earth, we are simply stewards of the things of God. Everything that we touch really belongs to him, including all the people in whose lives we invest. And so Jesus has invested in the lives of these 11. These men who will take the gospel and share it with the rest of the world. But they've still got a little bit of work couple of things that the Lord Jesus wants to speak into their lives. Uh, and today we'll pick up in verse 1 of John 21 and see a couple of those things. As Jesus has breakfast on the beach with the boys. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for discipling us. Lord, thank you for those that have come into our lives and Lord helped us along this journey of faith. We prayed that you would strengthen us to receive your word with gladness. Lord, grow us. Lord, would there be more days like today where we see your church grow and expand, where people go out and are used of you. Lord, when they leave the comfort, Lord, of maybe even here to go somewhere and take on a new task for your glorious purposes, would you bless us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, John 21, and after these things, what things? The resurrection, uh, the commissioning of the disciples, 
the, the profession of Thomas's faith. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret in Arabic, the Sea of Galilee, all three places are the same. So when you see those, don't be confused. Jesus was from the region of Galilee, Nazareth in the foothills, just to the west of the Sea of Galilee, just above Cana in a little tiny valley. So he grew up. This is where he lived. In, during his time in ministry, he spent almost all of it on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It is there that you find Capernaum. It is there that you find Magdala. It is there that you find Chorazon. It is north of there that you find Caesarea Philippi. It is there that Jesus spent most of his disciples. That's where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's where he gave the Beatitudes. It is this very same place. And now the disciples going back to what is ostensibly Peter's home in Capernaum. Just to the west of that little tiny town of Tabtha. And it is there that today as you travel you find the cove of the loaves and the fish. A little tiny church sits right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee with a couple of mooring holes to where it was in ancient times that fishing boats would ply those particular waters along that shore. And it is here that Peter goes back with five more of the disciples, half the disciples, back to what they know. They're going back to fishing. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel and Cana, of Cana of Galilee, so just up in the foothills, not far from the lake. The sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. And two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And you have to think about this from the perspective of the disciples. What would you be thinking about this time? You've just spent uh, uh, the last three years of your life following Jesus all over what we would call uh, Israel, very specifically, mostly in Galilee, but also down to Jerusalem in Judea, through Samaria, back down to the Jordan River. You've been taking this journey. You've been discipled by Jesus himself. He's preached these incredible messages of the kingdom. And then in the last 24 hours or so uh, of his life, you saw him murdered, beaten, tried, put in a grave. He's now appeared to you. You're probably not actually all that sure of what's going on right now. Amen? You think you might be a little bit mystified by the occurrences of those events? I think it's important that we don't get on the disciples' case too badly here because I'm not sure any of us would have done any better. And so they go back to what they do know. They go back to fishing. And they said, well, if you're going, we're going too. We are going also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat and 
That night they caught nothing. You know, God has a way of speaking into our lives, doesn't he? Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing and we think we're going the right way and maybe it is we're going back to what we know and there in the midst of what we know, the Lord shows up to, no, this isn't what I have for you. And they caught nothing. Now remind yourselves, they're professional fishermen. This is their job. They know what they're doing. They're not ill-trained. They're not ill-equipped. They're not ill-prepared. But the Lord has a way of speaking to us. And very often it is fruitlessness. He says, no, I'm leading you by a negative example here. This isn't working. And the reason it's not working is because this is not what I've called you to do. You may be really good at it. But this is not what I've called you to do. But when the morning had now come... Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, and you can almost hear them in unison, No. Does it look like we have any food? Do you see any fish in the. You can almost just see them out there in the boat. Of course, we don't have any food. Why we're out here in the boat. We're freezing. Been completely fruitless. They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And about this time, you can almost see the gears beginning to turn. These are professional fishermen doing what they know how to do. They're out there. It's like, Yeah, right, dude. It's like, Why don't you come out here with us? Are you going to tell us how to do our job? And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Imagine what they're thinking. And therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John continues to the end to refuse to name himself, I don't know whether he was embarrassed or whether he had some real humility. But he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. There are two little things here. He was either down to his short tunic his loincloth, or perhaps he was wearing nothing at all, but he decided to get dressed before he went to a swim for a swim to see Jesus, and plunged into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far, about 200 cubits, or only 300 feet offshore, 100 yards. And the Sea of Galilee at the northern edge is quite shallow. Actually, the deepest point in the whole lake is only 141 feet when the lake is full. But they were dragging the net with fish, and then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, 
full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And you talk about the worst day of fishing ever. Here are the disciples. They go back to what they believe at least they can do to earn a living. You can kind of get into their heads a little bit. You can, you can imagine their disappointment. It's like, man, the, the Messiah's dead and we stink at fishing too. It's like, what are we going to do now? And it is in those moments when our lives seem to be chaotic and turned upside down that very often we see the Lord the largest. We see him step in. We, we see him in the greatest way. From their position, they're, they're just doing what they know to do. They're, they're going to go fishing. But there's nothing that they can do to even catch fish. It's been horrendous. They're out there in their Tilapia 2000 boat, you know, trying to catch a few fish for some food. They can't even do that. And Peter turns around and recognizes the Savior their friend, the Messiah, hooking on the beach. And so much of the time in our lives, and I just want to point this out to you, God is always faithful. He always comes in our time of need. He can't deny himself. He is faithful, period. And so in those moments when you think you can't even fish. I remember a day I was sitting at the camp and just kind of honestly bemoaning my situation. Looking, it's like, Lord, how did I end up here? It doesn't even look like you're, you're blessing this. It's like, why am I doing this? I can go back to doing what I know how to do well. I remember the Lord very clearly saying, well, you're here because you're a knucklehead. I'm like, well, thanks, Lord. What he was saying was, I have some work to do in your life. You need to learn this lesson, Jeff. You need to learn to trust me. You need to learn to not rely on your own human strength and your own human ability and your own skills and your own gifts and your own talents. I gave you all those things, but you rest and trust in those things. You're not resting and trusting in me. And I I remember just sitting there, it's like, Lord, but what do you want me to do? He says, that's the problem. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be what I've called you to be. And I'm like, Lord, I'm listening. You, you do whatever you want to do. He said, I want you to stop resting in your own gifts and talents. 
And I realized what he was saying because he was taking away my safety net. He was removing that which I rested and trusted in. Well, I could always go back to construction. I could always go back to project management. I could always go back to the things that I do really well and actually get paid really well for doing. He said, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to trust me. You are going to have that kind of moment in your life at some point in time, and you may have it more than once. You might have it frequently and often if you keep going back to that which you know. Because our lives are lives of faith. And God wants us to live by faith. And that doesn't mean foolishness. That means faith. That means that we rest and trust in the Lord. The disciples were still learning that lesson. And so they go back to fishing. This is the same guys that fell asleep. This is the same guys that denied the Lord. The same guys that, that spent an awful lot of their time really unlearning the lessons that they'd already learned. When all God was really asking them to do was to wait and keep on working. They weren't sure when the Lord was going to appear. This is the third time. But they'd already seen him twice. They knew he was alive. They'd already seen the Lord work. Can I share something with you? You need to remember the times that the Lord has worked in your life. You need to be able to go back and say, I already saw him do that. Because in, the, in those moments where you're, where you're tempted to be faithless, it is those things that you can go back to. I've already seen him. I saw him fix that area of my life where I was broken. I saw him fix that relationship that was broken. I saw him do what I could not do. I've already seen the Lord. You see, they could have said, we've already seen the Lord. We know he's here. But they were so filled with fear that their faith was pushed aside. Fear and faith do not coexist very well. You will generally have one or the other, but not both at the same time. Rest in that faith in the Lord and keep working. Surely the Lord didn't expect them to just sit around and, and do nothing, so there's really nothing wrong with them fishing. But the fact that they were not waiting for the Lord was the problem. They weren't waiting in faith, they were waiting in their flesh. And so consequently, they had to relearn some old lessons. Anybody in here relearn some old lessons? I, I never have had to do that, personally. At least not since this morning. You see, this isn't the first time that the Lord joined them on a fishing expedition, is it? There is another time, it's in Luke's Gospel. If you want to turn there, it's chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel, and we'll look at it a little bit. But there in Luke 5, they had already been fishing with Jesus. And the result was much the same. 
But since he's been resurrected now, and and Peter remembered many of the things I'm sure that the Lord had said, you would think that they would be operating in some faith. But they weren't. They were still kind of clinging to the flesh. The difference very often between success and failure is are you operating in faith? And in this case, faith was defined by seven feet of the bottom of a fishing boat. Amen? Think about it. Faith was resting and trusting in the Lord, being obedient to what the Lord had said. He he simply tells them, look, guys, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now think about it for a second. This school of fish, no doubt, were on both sides of the boat. Amen? So it really didn't have anything to do with whether the fish were present or not. It had everything to do with whether they were going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. Are you going to hear the word of the Lord and do what he says, or are you going to keep doing things your way? Because doing things their way got them nada. Amen? Nothing. They were in the exact right spot. But without the Lord, you can do nothing. It's listening to the Lord. It's doing what he asks. There's no reason for the fishing to be any better on the other side of the boat, is there? Think about it. If you've ever been out on a fishing boat, one side of the boat or the other You may catch more fish on one side or the other, but they're the same fish are on both sides. They're not just sitting down there, well, I'm going to stay right here. I'm not moving. The fish are going everywhere. So the secret here is obedience. The secret is listening to the word of the Lord and then doing what he tells us to do. Seeing him, believing him, resting in him, trusting in him. In Luke chapter 5, and so it was as the multitude pressed about him. And you can see this is a different situation because it's the multitude. It's the same multitude. He's actually going to teach the multitude from the bus. And if you look at the first eight verses here, Jesus gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and put it out from land and he begins to teach them. And Simon said, Master, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. Look at that. Lord, nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. Lord, when you speak, we'll do it. What happened? Because this was two years earlier. They'd stopped listening to the voice of the Lord. They had stopped listening for the voice of the Lord. They had gone back to leaning on the arm of flesh, and the arm of flesh was not supporting them. It couldn't sustain them. They were suffering through exactly what all of us suffer through when we stop listening for the voice of the Lord. We become fruitless. And so they finally throw their net out, and the same exact thing, and the the net's about to break. And when Simon Peter saw it, verse 8 of Luke 5, 
he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You can read the rest of that story later. God is faithful to reteach us old lessons. But it's better that you don't have to learn them again. It's better that you learn them the first time. That the Lord so works in your life and and so deep is your faith that when God speaks, you simply do it. And let me tell you how that works. When you read your Bible, you say yes and amen to what the Lord says in it. Not, well, you know, I really don't like what that says. I'm not really big on forgiving my enemies. I'd rather shoot at them. I don't want to speak kindly right now because they hurt me. I'd rather rip their throats out verbally. You see, so what happens is then the circumstances come from you acting in your flesh and you end up having to relearn that lesson because you end up having to eat those words that you tried to destroy somebody's life with. Because God goes, Jeff, are you sinless? And you have to go, "Mm, no, not really. God would prefer that we learn things the first time. But he will let you relearn them. He's trying to teach us the secrets of catching fish. In these two fishing miracles, what was the key? Listening to Jesus. Amen? That's all it was. Is not he the owner of all things, including the earth itself? In this sense, didn't he create the fish? The wood that the boat's made out of? Was he not the creator of the souls of the men that were in the boat? Did he not fabricate them in their mother's womb? He knows everything about everyone at all times. He's not blind to your circumstance, nor is he blind to mine. And so when he speaks, as we listen, he he shares some secrets with us. Because really, the the fish are his, the water's his, the boat was his. But Peter wasn't listening. And sometimes I don't listen. And I'm sure probably some of you in this room can say, Yes, amen, I don't listen. God's speaking, and I don't like what he says. I want to try it my way to see if it works out. Can I tell you something? Whenever there's your way and his way, I can tell you which way it's going to work out. It's always going to be his way. 100% of the time. The whole of creation is his. Colossians chapter 1 plainly declares he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. And by him were all things that were created in heaven on earth, visible or invisible, it doesn't matter whether you break things down to their atomic, molecular level, chemical, it doesn't matter how far you go. You're going to find what holds it together. Whether thrones or dominions, whether it's here on earth or whether it's in the heavens, 
principalities or powers, whether it's spiritual or, or whether it's literal and, and the physical things of this life. It's all him. All things were created through him and for him. And he was before all things. And in him they consist. They're held together by him. So when he speaks into our lives, he knows what he's saying. He he knew every single atom of that fishing boat. We travel with us when we go to Israel. One of the places that we stop is a little town called Nafgenesar. And there in that little community back 1984, the lake had receded and they found the remnant of this boat. It's been radiocarbon dated to be around 40 to 50 BC to about 40 or 50 AD, so right in the time of Jesus. So these little tiny boats were plying the waters of the Sea of Galilee. They were everywhere. Jesus knew every boat, knew every fisherman, every net, every fish. He, he could simply speak into the lives of the men. And in this story, the reason for success was Jesus. The reason that this story has a good ending is Jesus. The reason that we look at this story and we go, man, that finally worked out is Jesus. Anybody can buy a boat. Anybody can build one. But it depends on who the captain of the boat is. Before Jesus got there, Peter was the captain. But once they started listening to Jesus, Jesus became the Lord. He became the master. He was the captain of the boat. Well, all of us can be out on the Sea of Galilee. Your life and mine, this very place, they're in Tapta, believed to be the location of this particular miracle. You're going to be on a lake today. It's called the Lake of Life. Maybe it's not the Sea of Galilee, this little 13-mile-long, 8-mile-wide lake that is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Maybe it's not that lake. But you'll be out on a lake today. You're going to be out on a lake tomorrow, too. And the next day. And as you go into 2019, you're going to spend your life out on a lake somewhere doing something for the Lord or something for you. The choice is yours. Just like it was for the disciples. And so there's some lessons as we wrap this up. They were probably fishing for tilapia. 
That's the most common fish in the Sea of Galilee to this day. In fact, so much is called St. Peter's fish. So anytime you have tilapia at a restaurant, you could just ask them, could I have some St. Peter's fish, please? And they'll look at you really weird. But if you do that in Israel, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. You see, you're going to be out on a lake. Are you fishing for the right thing? Are you using the right bait? There's, there's some lessons that you can learn. Three things that you can see in this passage. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. These guys were in their comfort zone. They, they went back to what they knew, and it was not in their comfort zone that they were successful. It was in their discomfort zone that they were successful. It was in saying, we can't, but Lord, you can. Important lesson for each one of us to learn. A second thing is you're going to have to push your boat out away from shore. You're going to need to launch out into the deep. You're going to need to take steps of faith in your life. Because if you just do what you can normally do, you are never going to see the hand of the Lord in the way that you will see the hand of the Lord when you take a step of faith. When you say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out because I can't do this on my own. I need you to do it for me. When you take those kinds of steps of faith, you're going to see God at work in your life. That's what's going on with Anthony and Alma. That's a step of faith. That's going for the, from the comfort of this big, huge family to a smaller church at the step of faith. Not quite sure how that's going to, are they going to receive us or, or is it going to work out? I don't know. It's a step of faith. I can tell you what's going to happen. They're going to be blessed beyond measure because we serve a blessing God. I know his character. A third thing. You have to do exactly what James says. And that's put your faith to work. I will show you my faith by my works, is what James said. They could have said, yes, Lord, we believe that there's fish on the other side. But you know what? We don't want anyone to see us fail. So we're going to keep the net in the boat. We'll just take your word for it. God wants you to actually throw the net out. God's asking you to test and see if he is not good. Jesus, in that sense, had much bigger plans for Peter. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. Amen? The same guy that denies the Lord three times is going to speak one message of about 57 words and 3,000 people are going to come to faith in Christ. We need to step out in faith. We need to get out of the comfort zone. We need to let our faith begin to work as we enter into the new year. And I pray we'll do it. Because there are some lessons that we can all learn from going down to the beach with Jesus. The question is, will you do it? Will we do it as a church? Will we say, yes, Lord? If you say it, we'll do it. If we do, we're going to be blown away at what the Lord does. We're going to haul in a net full of fish. And instead of fishing for fish that will be dead after we catch them, we're fishing for fishes that will be alive after we catch them. Amen? 
Because you start dead as a human being, you end up being alive when you're fishing for souls. And that's what Jesus sent him to do. And I pray that's what we do as we enter into the new year. Be looking for places that we can throw our net in faith and say, God, we're waiting for you to do it. Amen? Would you stand? We'll pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us each day to go out on the lake and fish. And Lord, you had already told the disciples that they were going to be fishers of men. You specifically told Peter that. Lord, that's our task. That is our goal, to be fishers of men. Lord, to preach your gospel, to live lives of faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to get out of our comfort zone. We, we pray, God, that you'd help us to take steps of faith. And, Lord, we pray that that faith would be borne out through the work that we do for your kingdom. That when you speak, we'd toss the net. Wherever you tell us to go, we'll go. And we'll leave the results in your hands. We know you're good and that you love us. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless us. Set us up for success for this new year that we are about to enter into, Lord. Would our church be a church whose nets are ready to burst with the fish that you've caused us to catch? We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.